Here is the latest Minions and Musings call-in collective. Hey, it's Evil Jeff back behind the mic. It is a call-in collective. Lots of calls have come in over the last several weeks. But first, I must reach back into the past and play something that I missed. Hey there, Jeff. It's John over from the Red Dice Diaries. Great to hear you back podcasting again. And I'm glad to hear you've got those creative juices flowing again. As someone who's only recently been able to start podcasting again, I really do sympathize but here's hoping that creative well and those vast amounts of notes you've made run deep and we can look forward to many more episodes from yourself. It sounds like you've got some great stuff in the pipeline for the future and I really look forward to listening to it. Keep up the good work, dude. I'll catch you soon. And we apologize to John and Large there for missing his call. Back when that came in, my phone went through an update and unbeknownst to me, I didn't realize they had changed the default locations of downloaded things. It wasn't until I recently was looking for another file that I downloaded that I realized there was a lot more folders and reorganization going on. So I happened to see your message there and realized I hadn't played it. Anyway, thank you for calling. And hopefully, since it's been since the beginning of August, you've liked what I've put out. Love to hear your thoughts if anything tickled your fancy. So, again, apologies for missing on that call. But I haven't missed any of these other calls, so let's get to them. Hey, Evil Jeff, listen to your model railroading episode. Very cool. You, you know, HO is a little closer to my scale just because you can mix HO with 20 millimeter plastic figures. So for wargaming, it, it really works out better. Now, as far as railroading and RPG conventions go, here, you and I agree. So, no arguments at all. I'm, I'm with you there. Can you set up a, a convention game that's more open world and all? Yeah, you can. You're probably not going to get resolution to what's going on in the time frame you have for a convention. But pretty much, yeah, I mean, you covered it very well, and you're right. So, you know, good episode. I agree with you. Curious to see if anybody calls in disagreeing with you. Looking forward to your next episode. Take care. Talk to you soon. Hey there, Evil Jeff. Brahmos here. I'm glad you're back with the new Minions and Musings episode. You describe convention play very well. It's default or customary that when signing up to play convention games, the DM has a pre-sale road venture or playtest Kickstarter they have made. Either way, the DM will have a brief summary of what is expected at the game session on the convention's website, and if not, by time constraints and noise levels at conventions, players are expected to play and pick from a pile of pre-generated characters, playing that character to the best of their ability, with some creative liberties, of course, unless the sign-up brief says, open play sandbox with character creation, then that's not to be expected on game day. Great episode, Jeff. Looking forward to the next one. This is Brahmos out. 
So, yeah, Jason and Bramas, Bravas, uh, I've already forgotten what the name was. I apologize there. But we were talking about the convention play and railroading, and I appreciate uh, the calls there and glad to hear that convention play hasn't wandered too far off from where it was. And you're right. I think you can set up for a convention a more open world system. You'd still probably need to have uh, pre-generated characters in there. Maybe to have something, if you can do some sort of quick start to speed up character creation, unless that system is one where character creation takes quite a while, I don't see where it's a really feasible thing. But yeah, I mean, you want to show off the system. If you really want to show open world stuff, sandboxy stuff, you know, you're showing off the system, what it can do. But if you really want to show what it can do, you set up a situation where they can see how it runs. So at that point, you definitely are railroading. So yeah, thanks guys for agreeing with me. Nobody else disagreed. So yeah, you're right, Jason. You, yeah, you're going to bet on that one. You, you would have won. Next set of calls, let's talk about variations in monsters. Hey, Evil Jeff, Jason here. So reference variations of monsters and all that kind of thing. I definitely think that's interesting. I think the GM definitely should be able to modify those things. And there's nothing wrong with that in case your players memorize things. But when we look at the AD&D monster manuals, you know, why play the kitty version of the game? We'll see tons of variation in there already. And not just for animals, as you mentioned, there are tons of animals, but we, with the Sphinx, the Naga, the Gloom, the Golems, the Elementals, you know, the Ghast and, and Ghoul. Uh, when we get, add in Monster Manual 2, Fiend Folio, you know, you get Greater Basilisk, Greater Lamassus, all kinds of stuff in there. So there, there is those kind of variations. And then the other option you have, of course, is all the other great books out there to supplement these. We, we have monster manuals and ministries and key creature catalogs coming out our ears when you think about it. You know, from back in the day, like All the World's Monsters, or you can go plunder Arduin for monsters, um, or, you know, all these modern books that are out there with, monster, you know, adding monsters, new monster manuals and things. So there, while I agree there's nothing wrong with making your own monsters. And I think it makes sense for your world to have some unique monsters. There's such a variety out there. There's really no reason to always use the same monsters unless you really want to reinforce what lives in that region. Hey Jeff, this is Dark Fluid calling in about your um, clones are not variation episode. Yeah, I, you know, I um, obviously I made up unique creatures for adventures for years, but um I think one of the reasons I'm guilty of not doing some variations before is that I look at a lot of the monsters um, that are published in, you know, the classic TSR manuals. And I just, I, I guess I run into this problem too when I see a lot of the other additional monster manuals that are published. Um, people seem to, you know, love those and, you know, say how there's so much good variation, but I guess I always look back and said, I don't use all the monsters in the one that I have already. So I, I, I think I'm probably guilty in some cases of 
not doing enough variation. But then again, I part of the reason I don't use a, a lot of the published ones is be, because I, you know, kind of make up my own unique stuff. But I think that, um, <clears throat> I think though that it's, it's a good point that we not just give a monster, you know, uh, an extra hit die or give them some magical resistance, but also changing the fundamental characteristics of the monster itself. Um, when you're talking about, say, zombies and the speed or, or, or whatnot. I mean, it's easy to take a, to use a bear, right? But um, I think that's something that probably a lot of people don't take advantage of as DMs is the fun that it is to create something super unique to throw at your players and really change it up. Um, and then see if your players uh, like it, find it interesting, or just complain because uh, they were expecting a zombie and now they don't know how to deal with it. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll uh, keep listening. Thanks. So when I got Jason's and Dark Fluid's voicemails there, it got me thinking a little bit more. And I think that is one of the problems in my opinion uh, that we have with monsters is there's so many many books out there and like Dark Fluid pointed out he doesn't use all of them now, even out of just one book now I will say that I think that as when you're creating worlds that putting every monster in there may not always be the, the best thing you know does your world have to have all those monsters? I mean, they came from multiple different places, and I don't see where every world needs to have that. I mean, there may be some that just wouldn't make sense in the paradigm of whatever world you have. But what I think I failed to really get at was not the variation in the non-humanoid monsters. You know, like Jason said, you know, basilisks, lamasus, you know, things like that. But it's the humanoid monsters that I was really should have probably put more emphasis on. You know, orcs, ogres, cobbles, you know, the, un the humanoid undead, right? Why isn't there a lot more variation in them? And there are some here and there if you look through the other books that we have for these creatures. But to go back to Dark Fluid there, with all these books that we have and everything, he, you know, just the one, and really Jason as well, I don't need all those other books. I really don't. And I think that was the other point I wanted to get across, and I just didn't do a good job of it. We don't need all those other books. Take just the basic book that you have. I mean, if I'm playing BX or OSE or even Beckme, you know, oh, let's take the rules compendium because that gives me a lot of monsters. But I can just take that set of monsters there and then tweak things in the, with the humanoid monsters. You know, give us a, some variation of orcs. Give us some variations of on the cobbles and things like that. I think some of us like the idea of there being variation in the player character races, like the elves. Oh, well, we got high elves, and we got wood elves, and, you know, dark elves, or things like that. Or, 
oh, we have the mountain, we have the dwarves, and then they have the deep dwarves or Snurfnivlin. Well, wait a minute. Did you just have variation in a player character race or background or whatever you want to call it? Then why not the orcs? Why not the cobbles? So, I, th I think that's really what I wanted to get at. It's like, you know, we could stay with one small book, vary some stuff up, change it up. And I think that the other thing is that it's that challenge. You know, that challenge. You know, when you see a skeleton, or when players who have been around for a while see a skeleton, they immediately know in their head how strong it is, how tough it is, how quickly they can take care of it. Oh, they see that zombie. Oh, oh we see that orc. And but the moment we change something, huh, well, there's five skeletons there. Four of them are regular, but there's this one that's got reddish tinge to it. wonder why. And then... You know, <laughs> wouldn't you wouldn't you just love seeing exactly how much they'd start panicking there? You see a there's a actually where I live, uh, there's a set of deer that run through. You know, I guess a herd to a degree, but they don't always run together. There's been at times we've seen eleven of them running through the back of the yard through the woods where I am, but a lot of times it's just a group of two or three does here or there and their fawns several years ago there were towards the yeah i guess it was heading into the winter time i guess we were talking close to december and we were looking outside and all of a sudden the deer go running through the yard and there was one deer that had very white haunch and you couldn't you know move so fast you couldn't tell if it was because it had lost its hair or if the hair was white or something like that you know, but it was a variation in that deer probably not going to keep it alive for very long but still i mean just those little variations you know let your creative juices flow don't give the same things to the players over and over again. You know, I thought about the zombie again in my head. You know, all the zombie shuffling. But then two or three of them all of a sudden move blazing fast and attack. That zombie is not as tough as the other zombies. But they get an additional plus two, plus four on their initial attack. And plus four might be too much. But maybe they get surprised because of it. You know? I mean, change things up. You start startling these players. Get them out of their comfort zone. You know, make them wary. <laughs> oh, crap. What is this DM doing to us? So I think that's really what I was trying to get really more about with the variations in monsters. I know that'll probably provoke another call or two, but I wanted to get that out there.
Now let's get a set of calls from my last episode with the regression adventure and uh, the other type of adventure where we've got that static, uh, that dungeon with the sort of the uh, waiting room sort of feel. Hey, Evil Jeff, Daniel from Bandits. Keep calling in about your regression episode. Some really cool ideas there. I'm not familiar at all with those magnets and stuff, so uh, definitely we'll see if I can check some out. But when you were talking about the skeleton warrior defending and the idea of like kind of re respawning, you know, it occurred to me that if you were playing this, like especially with the single player, what you could do is if you did the kind of old school, old school style and track the turns as they moved, right? They could be moving through the dungeon, doing various things, and then if they die or, or you know, kill themselves, I guess, because they screwed up and they want to go back, then you would roll some kind of a die to see how far back in time they went, and as long as you were keeping notes, you could literally know, like, okay, they only went back 10 minutes, so these first five monsters are, are dead still because they, they killed those, you know, half an hour ago, so they could actually move through those rooms pretty quickly but this last monster might still be alive and stuff like that. So I think you could actually do that pretty easily. It would actually be almost a fun thing to do as a solo game. So maybe <laughs> I've been solo gaming a lot lately. So maybe that would be something I could look at, but yeah, you got my mind thinking, my mind thinking, <laughs> you got my mind going and that's always a good thing. Talk to you soon. Thank you, Daniel, for that. As I was listening to your message and you're talking about tracking the turns, I was like, huh, that might be good for solo. And then you finally went to, Talking about solo there. I was like, yeah. You know, I think that would be a, a good one. Um, though, I would say this. In in order to... I don't know. I, I like the idea of solo, but also I want somebody to you know define the world for me. Let me play solo. And I don't mind doing it. But I find myself at times when I, when I start building up this uh, idea for solo dungeons and everything like that, I realized that I'll do things in such a way, and once I have them prepped, all of a sudden now I'm like, huh, um, let me game the system a little bit here, because I know if I do this, that's, you know, and I, and I find myself you know, almost trying to cheat the system, so I, I, I try not to do that. But, you know, hopefully you understand what I'm getting at there. I almost would say, hey, you know what? Let's set up something solo. Define some rules for me. You know, especially for this regression thing. Because you're not... It, the, the idea behind those mangas is that something created the rules. So, instead of you creating rules, let somebody else create them. You know, you know now you might have to give them some ideas of what you're looking at of what type of rules to make up and everything but once they're written down then you're abiding by them so I don't know, it, it, it seemed kind of a, a nice an interesting thing to do especially if you're going to do solo you know make it even more interesting by having somebody else define how things run all right got one more set of calls here Hey, Jason here. As far as your aggression adventure, interesting idea. 
I, I don't know. You could look through in 5e hardcore mode by Runehammer Games, a way to kind of simplify Dungeons Dragons 5e, and you could apply it to any of these 5e clones that have spawned out of the OA, OGL wars that happened earlier this year. That has a reset or a respawn mechanic built into it. So you could use that. And a lot of your players can be familiar with that system anyway. Um, I, I think it is interesting. I don't know that you have to do a whole lot to simulate remembering skills, especially if you're playing more of that kind of OSR game or that game where it's character, I'm sorry, where it's player skill, because the players can bring that, you know, those skills to them. I mean, you can just do it as avatars, right? You can do it as the players are playing themselves in the bodies of Dungeoneers with the skills of Dungeoneers, but the memories of 21st century, you know, you know, humans in the real world, that would be an interesting adventure where they, you know, and that would simulate some of the fiction pretty well. I think it'd be an interesting game. I, I would definitely be willing to play it and give it a shot. Um, I, I think it would depend on your group. And I think I would be, I, I wouldn't lock to a certain number. I don't know. You almost want a certain number of levels, don't you? Cause that way they have a goal to get to. So, yeah, it, determining number of levels could be a little bit tough. The reason I say the number of levels could be tough is, like you say, you don't necessarily want to set 100, right? But if you set 20 levels and they have to go a level of session or whatever, then people aren't having fun. I, I guess you could give them a gate to jump over some levels and do that. But at some point, it might become a slog. And you, you don't want to just hand wave, okay, you're on the last level, but at the same time, yeah, so I, you almost have to wait and say you're not sure how many levels and play a few sessions, see how people are doing. And, and then, you know, keep it, maybe if you keep it kind of nebulous, you know as a DM how many levels, but not necessarily let the players know might be a way to do it. I don't know. No. Anyway, very interesting episode, very interesting concept. You know, I'm currently running for a couple of people, Stay Frosty with Slipgate Choke Point. And that effectively is simulating the video game Doom the computer video game Doom from the 90s. And we're having a lot of fun with that. But the idea of taking that concept of some other kind of media, in this case a video game, and putting an RPG, works can work better than one would expect, really. that That's been... It, it wouldn't be a long-term game for me, but it's definitely a fun little aside for us to do between more serious campaigns, if you will. All right, thanks, Jason. I'm glad you... Like the idea there, intriguing there. A uh, bit about Runehammer Games. I did not. Well, you're you get a lot more of those particular <laughs> games than I do. Um, I mean, it's it's interesting that he has a mechanic in there for that, which sounds like a a good thing. I mean, I'll have to look at it at some point. Um, I'm not sure if you you maybe got twisted up there when talking about skill. And I know you're talking about you know having people. You know, modern day people inhabit fantasy people, you know, keep their memories and everything, but inhabit the bodies of the engineers, you know, avatarish like stuff. Um, but the point of the skills was that they start off with none and they're building them up and building them up and improving them and improving them because they have to improve them because as they go along through this dungeon, the tower, whatever you want to call it. In those in those manga, as they go through progressive levels, it's going to get harder, and they need to build up those skills 
to deal with tougher and tougher things. So it wasn't so much the people as it is that they had built it. You know, like you were talking about your gaming right now that you're running that Stay Frosty that's emulating Doom. It's that, in a way, it's that same sort of idea about video games that we have. You know, whether you're talking Baldur's Gate or, you know, back in the day, Bard's Tale. You had to build up the character, and the more you built them up, as you progress further through the adventure, the easier it became. Or it wasn't as difficult as it could have been, however you want to look at it. But, you know, the idea of building up those skills, I mean, yeah, it is very much like a video game. Um, but with the thing here is that, whereas a video game is just kind of random stuff over time getting built up, and you really don't put points into the skills or such, in this idea, your actions, the things that you do, could lend itself to building up a specific skill or something. You know, if we're saying that pain tolerance is a skill, then what if you did things over and over again and built up your pain tolerance? So later on, that when you got one of those hits, instead of the major hit possibly causing you to be stunned, maybe have negatives applied to any attack roll. Here, because you've got that particular resistance, you've got that skill at a certain level, you negate a whole bunch of that. And that's really what I was getting at there, but I'm glad you like the idea. Um, yeah, you would have to determine how many levels, and really, you, you what happens if you hit one of those places that is a slog and people don't like it and maybe you as a GM have to tell your players that there may be some levels that are going to require a lot of effort or very precise things now what I would say there is that you know to kind of help them get through it after a certain number of attempts Maybe this is where we make a random roll. And depending upon how that roll goes, we can kind of fast forward through things, letting them know, say, yeah, well, you keep attempting it, and instead of, you know, two hours of trying it, it actually ends up taking them three days of effort back and forth over and over again before they finally are able to defeat whatever it is, conquer it, get past a certain thing. Maybe it's just all timing. So, I mean, there's ideas. You could help get them past it. But yeah, you would want to sort of define how many levels that they're going to have to fight through. Because just leaving it infinite while... or a very large number... You could have people play for a while, but I think you'd lose people after a short period of time. Well, 
that is all for this call-in collective. We thank you for calling. Keep on the lookout. We are into October, so we do have some OSR October or OSR-tober. <laughs> That's what I like to call it, OSR-tober content. Um, only three Saturdays left in this month. And as I mentioned previously, I am going to do at least one episode, maybe two, on a book that I recently received as part of a contest uh, written back there in 1982 through Dungeons Deep. And if that's not old school, who knows what it is. But I like to get through and read that and I've been making some notes, so I want to give some impressions on it. Whether that equals one or two shows, eh, who knows. But we appreciate you being here for this show. Be safe out there, and keep on gaming. Witchcraft!